Welcome to the RYR Endurance Team Podcast. We are grateful that you've chosen to tune in and listen. If you are a runner, aspiring runner, triathlete, or aspiring triathlete, you are in the right place. We love sharing what we know about these sports. If you like what you hear, you can always learn more by contacting us at ryrcoach at gmail.com or by visiting our website, ryrenduranceteam.com. Hey, if you enjoy our podcast, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and subscribe. This helps others find us. Thanks for listening. Good evening, Coach Paula. It's a late evening for us. It is. It's been a really fun weekend outside by the pool with the family. Yep. Normally we record the podcast early in the previous week, like a Wednesday or Thursday, and gives us plenty of time to get it ready for a Monday release. But this past week has just been another super crazy busy week, and we have not even had the opportunity to sit down and have our little weekly coach chit-chat session. Our face-to-face quality time. (laughs) So... That's what this podcast is. So if you're listening in, you're just simply listening to two coaches who happen to be husband and wife. I guess you're also kind of looking at coach athlete because Dean coaches me. And to some extent, I coach him. But let's face it, he coaches himself too right now and me. (laughs) Well, I'm still on the disabled list. So just kind of working through things right now. Yeah, but back to this weekend, it's actually just been not just the weekend, but it kind of started Friday. Jacob and Shelby, Jacob our son and Shelby our daughter-in-law, brought our granddaughter over early on Friday, like 9 o'clock a.m., and the day before they had begun potty training her. So I think they were ready for some backup on the potty training. So they came over early. You were working, but I was... Certainly available. I always make myself available when our kids show up. And so Shelby and I hung out with Ellie all morning and she did great with her potty training. And Jacob went and ran some errands and got his workout in. So spent all day Friday with those three. And then Saturday, Bethany came over fairly early. So we were able to hang out all day with Bethany And then Jacob and Shelby and Ellie also came over on Saturday. And then today, after church, was a repeat. We had the whole crew here again. Every day is a party. That's right. So we love pool season. Part of the reason why Bethany came over early on Saturday was that she and I were going to cheer on some athletes in the run for Foxy Roxy 5K here in our hometown. Yep. And I was going to go cheer that too, but I had some business to take care of before I went to cheer. You're in the midst of marathon training? Yeah, I'm in the midst of marathon training for a marathon I may or may not run. Oh, you're running. I am. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I had four marathons on the books, beginning with Mesa in February and Boston in April. And then I was planning on just doing a light recovery cycle. And then in a couple weeks from now, start, well, probably three weeks from now, starting my big Chicago build into New York. So those were the four. However, 
our friends Suzanne and Lee are running the Jack and Jill downhill, which I've run before. You've run that course, but under a different the tunnel brand. light marathon. Yeah. It's the same course basically. the The start's a little bit different for the two different brands on the same course, but. Suzanne was training, and we provide coaching workouts for her, and it's just more motivating for me to have somebody to train with, and she and I run similar speeds, and I don't know. I just started marathon training with her, and I thought, hey, you know, maybe I should just go out there and do this race too. So they do two races, the Jack and Jill. They do one on Saturday and one on Sunday, which is the last week in July. So I went to register and it says sold out for Saturday, but it had click here for the waiting list. So on May 18th, it was sold out. I don't know when it sold out because it was the first time I looked. And it said I had 50 people ahead of me on the waiting list on May 18th. And as of today, I have 10 people ahead of me on the waiting list. So from May 18th to June 5th, I've moved up 40 spots in line. You're getting close, but but you also have a backup plan, which is to run the race on Sunday because it hasn't filled up yet. And you are keeping an eye on that, right? I haven't looked at that lately, but last time I looked, there were 472 slots left on Sunday. So they limit the number of participants in the race because it's kind of like a trail. It's somewhat narrow, and so that's why the race fills up is because it has a really low limit. But I'm not sure what the attraction is to Saturday versus Sunday other than get home on the weekend. Yeah, I think that's the big thing. I mean, the attraction to me is I would much rather run the race with Lee and Suzanne than to run it by myself. But we'll just see what happens. And I haven't registered for Sunday, obviously, because the plan is to register for Saturday. So if all goes as plan B goes, I guess, I may run five marathons this year. Wow. That would be a record for me. So that's what I was doing. I was training for the Jack and Jill downhill marathon that I may or may not be doing. And I started at 5 a.m. so that I could get my extremely long run in before Jacob's race, which was a big detour because I think you were going to talk about the local 5K. Yeah. Our son Jacob was running in the race. And he did great. He finished sixth overall and third in his age group. Wasn't his personal best, but he really hasn't been working on speed. So I think he was pleased with the results. Yeah, I think after his Wendell Foster half marathon, I think he took a step back in his training and he's meeting up with a local group of buddies and just kind of enjoying the gift of running right now. Low intensity and medium volume. Just having fun. Mm-hmm. building a good base. Nope. So back to your training. So after Jack and Jill, we're going to have to think about some downtime for you. Going from Mesa right into Jack and Jill, right into Chicago training. We may need to fit in a little bit of a, a break for you. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm doing a streak run, but after Mesa and after Boston, I definitely took two weeks of just very easy, low-intensity two to three mile runs each day. So I have taken a little bit of a break. And then with the Jack and Jill, 
downhill. I have not been training at nearly the intensity I did for the Boston. So I don't know. We'll just kind of take it one day at a time and see how it's going. I've been really pleased with the volume of hills that you've been running up and down. Yeah, I thought my Saturday workout was a pretty good workout for what the race is. The Jack and Jill race loses elevation over time. It's not like one of those rebel races where you're 8,000 feet in the mountains and then end up at sea level so you're not working on huge declines. Like a 6% grade going downhill was the one that we participated in. That's just brutal. Yeah, so the Jack and Jill, the grade is, I don't know, 1%, 2%, like just extremely gradual. And there's a couple little spots where it also gradually goes uphill, but not for very long. And then there's a few flat spots, but there is a net elevation loss. And sometimes you hear people complain about that in marathon groups saying that it's cheating to qualify for Boston that way. But honestly, the Boston course is a net loss as well. So, And I tell you, those Rebel races with a huge elevation loss, it wasn't an advantage for me because I can't train in those conditions. But here in our hometown, you found about a one-mile stretch of our greenway that has just a slight elevation loss over the course of a mile in one direction and obviously the gain. So the long runs have been a little bit different rather than doing a progression run where you do just a few miles at pace late in the run, kind of an alternating going easy zone two up the hill and then marathon pace down the hill. So we went up and down that hill seven times for a total of 14 miles on Saturday. Really good workout. It was a good workout. So I had a few random news nuggets to talk about on this episode. All right. Can't wait. At the Prefontaine Classic track meet, Burundi Francine Nionsaba attempted to break the two-mile world record, and I thought the focus would have been 3,200 or 3,000, but there's a a two-mile world record. The record is eight minutes, 58 seconds, 0.58 for the women. And she made a valiant effort at this, and she had pacers helping her, but she ultimately came up half a second short of the world record. She ran 8.59.08, but it is the second fastest time ever run for the two-mile by a woman. So close. So close, yet so far. (laughs) And then... Michael Johnson, you remember the American with the golden shoes? I do. He previously had the meet record at the Prefontaine Classic for the 400 meter, but Michael Norman beat his record with a time of 43.60. That is just fast. And it is the fastest time anyone has run this year for the 400. It's impressive. Garmin has released a, a new watch that is interesting. It's the Forerunner 955 Solar. So you can get added battery life with this particular watch. I'm assuming since it's a 955, it's a triathlon series. It is. Step up from the 935 that I have and the 945 that has superseded. But that may be something to look at in the future. But my watch, the 935, the battery lasts a long time. Whereas your 
watch the Garmin 245 music. Great watch. You have to charge it quite often. I do have to charge it quite often, but I also have the music feature going quite a bit. And I'm sure having the GPS going for long runs and having the music playing is a battery drain. But I like it. It's a little bit smaller than your watch. And it tells me what to do verbally. That's pretty cool. In my workouts. It's like having you in my ear, only it's a female voice. Hmm. So I wonder if you can change that. <laughs> I don't know. Hmm. I have no reason to. So I wanted to talk just a little bit about the Giro d'Italia. Okay. Stage 19 was interesting. Alessandra DeMarchi pulled over to the side of the road to say hi to his family and as the peloton was coming by so obviously he wasn't worried about getting dropped from the peloton at that point but i thought that was pretty cool that somebody would stop in a major competition to show some love to their family is he a contender he was not in contention for the general classification and i'm not even sure what team he was on but i mean it's just an honor to be there and everybody's trying to win a stage or win some sprint or KOM points, or or maybe they're just there helping their team leader. But anyway, that was an interesting... <laughs> when you saw that, did you think, self, I should have given Paula and Bethany some love in Kona. <laughs> I was thinking that. <laughs> anyway. That was exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> Are you serious? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then the final curve of stage 19 was in a town and they had barricades but it was a hard left-hand turn and it was narrow and the eventual winner cut the curve really short and actually cut off another rider who had to slam on the brakes the back wheel skid around which caused two other riders in this somewhat of a sprint finish in the breakaway to go off the course into the barricade or almost into the barricade. So it's important in a bike race. It's important in triathlon. It's important if you're going to be going fast out on the road by yourself to really know the course and be prepared for those sharp turns. Yeah, that reminds me in Tri-Louisville in the bike race. I was coming around some dude, so I flew around him. And I, you know, once your front wheel gets to a certain point, they're supposed to let you have the lead. Well, at about that time, I get past him. I realize there's a 90-degree turn to the right, which I'm fully clear of him. But my bike handling skills on 90-degree turns weren't what they should have been back then. This was pretty early on in triathlon. So I slowed down. Evidently, that dude had not given me my bike distance at that point because he gave me some choice words <laughs> but we didn't bump so that's good that is good did you hear any squealing of, of tires no nope, just him bossing me around on no. how i should ride differently yeah then on stage 20 of the Giro, the pink jersey leader richard carapaz from team enios he had a three second lead but he gave that up on a climb, and I Hindley, his name is spelled J-A-I, but it's spoken like I. I, I Captain. I, Captain. He 
surged ahead and ended up with over a minute lead going into the final day, which was an individual time trial, which he did well in. So I Henley was the GC winner in the Giro d'Italia. And Richard Carapace had been in the pink jersey for a long time. So it reminds me of the Tour de France a couple years ago when Primoz Rosalgood lost it in the individual time trial. But this was a day earlier. Mm-hmm. Speaking of bike races, here we are, early June. The Tour de France is right around the corner. Oh, boy. Would you like me to give you a recap of each day of the Tour de France? Before I'd like happens. to talk about something else. Okay. <laughs> what do you think about having a friendly competition around the Tour de France? I did learn that they have fantasy Tour de France. You've heard of fantasy baseball, fantasy football. How about fantasy Tour de France? Are you thinking a friendly competition between the two of us? Well, yeah. Friendly as in as friendly as Skipbo? I'm pretty friendly in Skipbo. I can't say... It's reciprocated. You're friendlier with your words, but actions speak louder than words. <laughs> mm, I just play the cards I've dealt. <laughs> yeah, you you def- definitely are dealt some cards. And how do you use those cards? To block your wife. Just mm. block me right out. Anyway, yeah, I'm always up for a friendly competition between the two of us. All right, I'll do some more research on that. Okay. The website isn't really open yet. It still says it's closed from last year. So more to come on Fantasy Tour de France. Going to start my research now. So I guess the main topic is the Phoenix Sub-7, Sub-8 project. And we've talked about it a little bit before on other episodes. But it's a modified full-distance triathlon with two professional men, two professional women, but they have a team of 10 people helping each of them. So and when we, uh, when you first introduced this race and said there could be 10 people helping, I said I would use two people in the swim, two people on the run, and six on the bike. Is that Did anybody do that? I th- the best I could tell with the amount of coverage I've been able to see is that they had two swim pacers and maybe as many as eight pacers on the bike and then had one or two pacers on the run. Because it's possible that somebody could be pacing multiple stages of the event. Well, I haven't watched very much of it all, but when they were interviewing Kat... It sounded like they thought it was unusual that she was using two swim pacers. Like, perhaps everyone else was using one swim pacer. But I have seen almost no footage yet. The biggest gains as far as pacemaking are going to be on the bike, and that's certainly what they had strategized. A couple of interesting tidbits that uh, I have seen or read. Well, I guess to start off with, Alistair Brownlee, had to drop out just a a week or two ago with a hip issue. And so Joe Skipper filled his spot. Alistair Brownlee was going to be a swim pacer for Joe Skipper. So still participating, just not in the lead role and not doing anything to damage the hip. But in order to achieve the sub-7 or the sub-8, sub-7 for the men, sub-8 for the women, they are going to have to go super fast on the bike. And the 
website, the Phoenix Sub-7, Sub-8 website, has predictions that each of the athletes had made for themselves for the swim, the bike, and the run. And they're just really aggressive. I'll read through the predictions and what they actually ended up doing. On the women's side, there was Nicola Spirig. She was, with her pacers, targeting 50 minutes on the swim, which is a really good swim for 2.4 miles or 3.8 kilometers. And she ended up swimming 54 minutes and 50 seconds. And Kat Matthews was also targeting 50 minutes and... She was just a little bit faster, 54-43. So she came out of the water seven seconds earlier. And then on the men's side, Christian Blumenfeld was targeting 45 minutes, and he was off just a little bit. He came out in 48-21. And Joe Skipper was targeting 49 minutes and came out in 53-24. So almost five minutes back. So none of them met their swim go. None of the four athletes met their swim go. Correct. So I don't know if it was water conditions, which they did say it was cold, or it may have been that they just had a hard time staying close enough to their pacers, or maybe their pacers didn't what they pull say, hard enough. 18 degrees Celsius. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit. Can you do some quick math on that? Yeah, so doing math really quickly here. A fifth of 18 times 9 plus 32, about 64 degrees Fahrenheit. That sounds pretty cold to me. Yes, when our pool was first opened, it was 70 degrees Fahrenheit. It was cold. It was cold. It was 92 today. (laughs) Much better. Much, much better. So the way the course was designed, the swim was a point-to-point swim. So no real significant turns involved. And T1 was pretty close to the water. Can we talk about the swim for just a minute? Yes. Because my understanding was they had it where each athlete started in a lane that eventually merged into one line to follow. And so I guess it was if the athlete wanted to win the swim, it was to their advantage to get to the merge point fastest rather than having to go around somebody unless they just decided to not swim on the line. Hmm. One of the rules of this unique competition is that you cannot draft off of the competition. Mm-hmm. So if you were behind on the swim and you caught up, you'd have to move over to the side and pass or just move over to the side so that you're not drafting. Just a little twist. Right. So it, if you're going to win the swim, the best thing would be to get to that line first. Right. Make your competition have to go around you. Yes, so they get out of the water and transition one is right there. There's no navigating to T1. Yeah, and all four athletes predicted that their transition time in T1 would be 40 seconds. Uh, Nicola Spirig, T1 was 33 seconds. Kat Matthews, 24. Blumenfeld, 22. And Joe Skipper, 43. Pretty fast. I guess... Skipper was the only one that was a little bit slower. What was he doing? I don't remember. I mean, I saw him (laughs) come out of the water and go into the transition area, but I don't remember observing anything that was unusual. Hmm. Maybe he got tangled up in his wetsuit. You just never know. Then on the bike, 
So Blumenfeld had a, about a five-minute lead, and they were anticipating, his team was anticipating riding the bike 112 miles in three hours and 49 minutes, which is pretty fast. But Joe Skipper's team, five minutes back on the bike, was targeting three hours and 20 minutes. Now, doing some rough math, three hours and 20 minutes for 112 miles is around 34 miles an hour. That's fast. That would be impressive. But you got to picture team time trial professional cyclists pulling the triathlete. But that's not something that you can just do without any practice. You have to be comfortable with your team and you have to be comfortable riding up close. There has to be some coordination and some confidence and some trust. At one point, Blumenfeld's pacers almost had a wipeout. Right in front of him, two pacers were changing leads. Changing leads, thank you. And they clipped wheels. Blumenfeld almost ran into them, but thankfully everybody had really good bike handling skills, stayed on their wheels, and continued on down the road. Now, normally when you clip wheels, whoever's front wheel does the clipping is the one going down. (laughs) Yeah. But they all stayed up. Yeah. So Jacob and I went on a bike ride this morning with a group, and we were in two pace lines. And I was beside of Jacob, and I saw some roadkill up ahead that was in the line of our two pace lines. So I notified the group that there was an obstacle, and I pointed towards it, and... There was almost a pile up in our pace line because somebody put on their brakes instead of just navigating around. You got to be careful. You got to be aware. But thankfully, everybody stayed on their wheels, stayed out of the ditches, stayed off the pavement. Yeah. Yeah. I won't go into my fear of riding in pace lines with riders. I'm not familiar with how they handle their bikes. Yeah. And we were on road bikes or try bikes not in aero position but these individuals in the sub seven sub eight they're on their tt bikes in the aero position drafting off of each other so your brakes aren't there so thankfully blumenfeld and everyone else was okay but skipper eventually caught team blumenfeld and i'm sure he was offering words of encouragement as he went by because he was looking over to his left, and it seemed like he was talking to the opposition. Surely it was words of encouragement. So the suspense is killing me. Their predicted times versus their finished times. Yes. (laughs) So all of the athletes, all four of them, were much faster on the bike than what they had predicted. Nicola Spirig predicted four hours and 19 minutes, Finished in 3.53.16. That's not even close. How does that happen? The team worked really well together. And then Cat Matthews predicted four hours and completed it in three hours, 50 minutes, and six seconds. So she still has a little bit of a lead over Nicola coming into T2. And on the men's side, Joe Skipper had taken the lead on the bike. He had predicted 3.20 and finished in 3 hours 16.42. And Blumenfeld just crushed it, 
predicting 349 coming in at 324.22. So coming into T2, on the men's side, Skipper's in the lead. On the women's side, Cat Matthews is in the lead. I noticed watching the video that Joe Skipper just slid on his shoes with no socks. Have you ever run very long at all with no socks? No, I've done a few transition runs just in practice. If I'm just coming off the bike and jumping on a 15-20 minute transition run, I've done that a few times without socks, but in general, I take the time to slip on some socks. Yeah. Blumenfeld stopped and put on his socks, and I believe the ladies did as well. And on the Run on the ladies' side, Nicola's team of pacers and herself caught up to Cat Matthews and her one pacer somewhere close to the halfway point. And typically in a full-distance event, when you get passed on the run, it's usually over, but it wasn't over. Cat Matthews and her pacer continued working hard and was able to make up ground and caught Nicola and her team and ended up going ahead and winning the event on the women's side. And the predictions? Nicola had predicted two hours and 45 minutes and finished in two hours, 45 minutes, and seven seconds. Wow. Pretty close. Even after that massive bike ride, she nailed a run. Fast. And Kat Matthews predicted two hours and 40 minutes, and she finished in two hours, 46 minutes and 9 seconds. And we didn't talk about their T2 times. They both predicted 20 seconds in T2. Uh, Nicola had a 33-second T2, and Cat Matthews had a 32-second T2. So overall times on the ladies' side, Nicola had predicted 7 hours, 55 minutes, and she finished in 7.34.19. Crushed 8 hours. But the winner, Cat Matthews, who predicted 7 hours, 31 minutes, finished in 7 hours, 31 minutes, and 54 seconds. So what will be the new target if they have this type of event again? Break 7.5? Yeah, I mean, I guess that would make sense. Mm -hmm. Then on the men's side, we know how fast Blumenfeld is on the run. He came from behind in the World Championship, not too many weeks ago to become the world champion. He came from behind in this event as well. He had predicted two hours and 25 minutes on the run, and he ran two hours, 30 minutes, and 50 seconds. And Joe Skipper had predicted two hours, 37 flat, and he ran 2.36.43. And their T2s both predicted 20 seconds. Blumenfeld, who put on his socks, was 30 seconds, and according to the Sub-7, Sub-8 website, it's saying that Joe Skipper's T2 time was four seconds. There's something off about that. I think there's something off about that. <laughs> it was quick, but not that quick. <laughs> Come on now. Flash Gordon. So I didn't see this, but I heard the commentators comment on it, and one of the articles I read made reference to it, but there was almost a bike wreck or there was a bike wreck on the run related to Christian Blumenfeld's pacing. So each of the runners had a bike beside of them. Well, apparently the bike beside of Christian Blumenfeld crashed somehow. But everybody was okay, according to the interview post-race by Christian Blumenfeld. 
And then the bike support for Joe Skipper had a tank of water on his back and was misting Joe Skipper to keep him cool. Were they feeding him grapes along the way? I didn't see that. (laughs) I'm just thinking of, you know, kings and queens getting fanned and Mm -hmm. fed grapes. So did you talk about their overall time? I have not. So Christian Bloomfield, such a strong runner. He made up the time deficit on the bike, went on to win with a time of 6 hours, 44 minutes, and 25 seconds. He had predicted 7 flat, so he crushed sub 7. Joe Skipper had predicted 6 hours, 47 minutes flat and finished in 6 hours, 47 minutes, and 36 seconds. I just feel like they should get some bonus points for nailing their prediction. I agree. Although you could really sandbag on that. I don't think there was any sandbagging going on. No, I don't think so either. But But it was impressive that both on the men's side and the women's side that the competitors finished so close together. I, I think they were both within three minutes of each other. Interesting competition. I'm just wondering where this is going to go next. What do you think about having amateur or professional team triathlon events that allow drafting? You have team time trials in pro cycling. What if this was open to amateurs? Maybe you don't have 10 people on your team. Maybe you have two or three people as a team, and maybe they swim together, they bike together, they run together, and you're finish time is when the third person crosses the line at the end of the run. What do you think? (laughs) First of all, I think if there becomes draft legal amateur iron distance events, (laughs) there's going to be a lot of ambulance work going on. (laughs) It could happen. But secondly, you know, amateurs have day jobs, so it's going to be very difficult to coordinate times to practice together i mean it was hard enough when you were training for iron man by yourself figuring out when to get it all done i can't imagine if you then had to coordinate it with this guy and his wife and their family and you know multiply that by 10 other people so yeah i don't know but i do think it would be cool to continue this and now do a what are we going to call it What do we want to go for? A sub 740, sub, no, a sub 730 on the women's side and a sub 640 on the men's side? I don't know. It's just not as catchy as sub 7, sub 8. No. But because it was crushed by so much, they're going to have to mix it up, make it a little bit more challenging. I really think they underestimated how well drafting would help them as triathletes. Yeah, and the bike course was ideal. It was a little bit of a ride from the swim area to the racetrack that they rode on. But they did 27 laps around this track. So it's perfectly flat. Actually had some banked curves. And just ideal conditions for going fast. And the run was around that course as well. Just not in the same area as the cyclists. But some of the potential penalties in this event I thought were interesting. Um, A two-minute penalty for not wearing a top when you're running. (laughs) Is that on the guys and girls' side? I presume so. Two-minute penalty for breach of support vehicle assistance time limits on the bike leg. 
you know, pro cycling, they've got the sticky bottle, the team car hands out a <laughs> bottle, and the rider holds on to it just a little bit, you know, getting a little bit of extra. All right, two-minute penalty if you do that in this event. If you get any forward propulsion on the bike, the swim, or the run, other than what you're doing yourself, two-minute penalty. If you draft off of another team, two-minute penalty. Anyway, there was a lot of rules that I don't think came into play because everybody played by the rules, as far as I know. Interesting concept. Well, let's wrap this up with scripture. Do you have one you'd like to share today? I mean, I could really just share the whole book of James. My Bible study group has decided to do a five-week study on James, which James, who is thought to be the half-brother of Jesus, wrote the book of James. And it's five chapters, so how convenient to do a five-week study. So last week, we did James 1. So how about I share a scripture out of the first chapter of James? Okay. I really just encourage everyone to read the book of James, but there are a actually a couple of verses I will read from chapter 1 of James. The second verse says, Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And sometimes when we're going through a trial, we don't really consider it pure joy. So that's something to think about. And then the other thing, the other verse that I really like is verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, do you lack wisdom? I do. I think we all do. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. I thought of something else that we needed to share on this podcast. Shout out to our athlete, Valerie. From Missouri. Who crushed the Hospital Hill Half Marathon this past weekend. Way to go, Valerie. Yep, I think she had a 51-minute improvement over the same race last year. Awesome Awesome. job. At RYR Endurance Team, we specialize in customized coaching. What is customized coaching? It's more than a training plan. It's a relationship. It's a partnership. So what are your goals? What are you training for? Contact us at ryrcoach at gmail.com or visit us on our website, ryrenduranceteam.com. Hey, if you enjoy our podcast, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and subscribe. This helps others find us. Thanks for listening.